Um, who's reading scripture for us this morning? Tia, if you want to come on up. As Tia's coming up, just another note on um, Explore Midtown. You know, the, we're going to try to cast a little vision each Sunday leading up to that of like, why, why church membership? Why does that matter? And um, just one piece of that is uh, because we really believe that we're doing something here. We really believe that the Lord has called us together. And he's not just calling like-minded people who this is convenient and we like to sing the same kind of songs, um, but he's actually building a community of specific men, women, and children that he has his purposes to having together in this part of the city at this time. And um, so the, the thing that church membership is most like is not like country club membership. It's most like um, marriage. It's like a business partnership. Like if you are getting into either a business partnership and starting a, a new company, some of y'all know what that feels like, or if you're getting into a marriage, um, you're gonna want to know where the other person is. And like, hey, when this gets hard, can I count on you? Are, are you in this? Because we also believe that when things get hard, when we come up to the end of ourselves, um, that's when the Lord does his most beautiful work. And so that's why he calls us to this covenant commitment together. So uh, if you are at all interested, uh, there's no pressure to join, but please come and learn about this. So um, Tia is gonna read our passage for us. So thanks. Um, okay, Isaiah 10, 33, um, through chapter 11, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will loft the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike down the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness shall be the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waves cover the sea. In the day of the day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nation inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks to you. Father, as we continue to worship you this morning, we come and we sit under your word. We, we let your word flow over us. Uh, we ask you to open our minds, open our hearts. Lord, to allow us to see, to allow us to hear, to allow us to, to be affected, to engage with you, to be changed by you, to allow you to convict us of sin, to allow you to encourage us of your love, to allow 
you to put in our hearts your purposes, your desires, and the strength to carry them out. And we ask you to do this uh, now and ask that you would do it in your power, not mine, because mine's not sufficient for this. Um, And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, if you're just joining us, we're in the season of Advent, and this is uh, a part of the Christian calendar where we celebrate Uh, The word Advent means coming. We celebrate Jesus' first coming when he came as a a baby, and and we celebrate also his second coming. We realize we're people between Advents. Um, We are people uh, between the days. We've seen God's salvation. He's accomplished his salvation, but we haven't seen the fullness of its fruits, of its results yet. And so we're still waiting him to return. And uh, somewhere along the way, I was actually trying to research this this week of when and where Advent started and how we got the four candles and all of that. And um, there were a lot of really definitive articles that said very different things. <laughs> it's like, well, everybody knows that it's purple candles and, or they're red candles and these are the words. No, these are the words. So who knows? But at some point in the Christian tradition, uh, in the early you know, 200s, 300s, we began this practice. And, and the reason for the candles and the reason for these themes every week, last week was hope, this week is peace, is that uh, we, we notice we're not people with our heads in the sand, we're not people with this sort of Buddhist detachment from reality. Um, we are people who notice that there is darkness in the world. And we also notice that we are hungry for light. And we also, by, by lighting a candle, show that um, the darkness has not been fully expelled. In some ways it has, but in other ways, um, we're, we're awaiting that light to grow and envelop the all of creation. And so these four words, um, hope, peace, joy, love, um, as we think about peace today, um, we're saying that, that Jesus is this light in the darkness, that he is this, this cracking in uh, the edges of darkness of peace. And this peace is increasing, this peace is growing, and one day, uh, like his rule, it will cover all of creation. And so we celebrate, we look forward uh, in the hope of that, that, that one day peace uh, will mark everything so that that will be our experience uh, now as we are in this world that is not fully marked by peace yet. Uh, so let's talk about peace. Um, peace is freedom from suffering, freedom from conflict, freedom from worry, freedom from threat. Uh, in other words, the, uh, an opposite way to state that would be tranquility. Uh, peace is not natural in this world. Uh, there are things don't effortlessly flow toward peace or tranquility, do they? Tell me. No. I'm going to change this for. Microphone. Um, yeah, when, when we don't touch things, when we take our hands off the wheel, uh, things don't tend toward peace. Uh, the things. In in my life, uh, what we tend toward is, in the world and in my life, uh, what is most natural is enmity. Um, Feelings of hostility, feelings of worry, of pain, of loss, of threat, of conflict with with other people, uh, with other people groups, uh, with nature, thinking about like disease and falling prey to accidents, um, the world, and even myself. Um, I have enmity within myself when I encounter things in myself that I hate. Why do I keep doing things that I hate? Why can't I do this better? Um, All of these questions that that we're all all familiar with. Um, And then, depending on where you come from, your ability to recognize this or not, um, enmity with God. 
the God who exists, that with my entire life and existence, um, I am actively trying to forget is real. And if, if you have trouble agreeing with me in this, that enmity is easier than peace, think about your Thanksgiving break uh, with your family. Think about your Christmas break coming up. No one's laughing. So I guess, <laughs> I guess it's either really hard or not hard at all. But um, think about workplace strife. Think about disease, sickness, uh, wars, wars between nations, wars between people groups, uh, political groups. Um, we want peace, but it eludes us because we all really want peace on our own terms. What do I mean by that? Um, well, it's, it's, yeah, we'll have peace, but maybe leaning a little bit toward my advantage. Uh, peace for me first, or for my people first, uh, and then we'll, if we get around to it, we'll take care of everybody else. Um, we spend our days trying to uh, operate in this world where we find ourselves, which is kind of this combination of we are sinful, we are, we are agents of enmity, um, and we're also scared. We're also threatened by the world around us and the enmity that exists and is coming toward us. And so in that place of vulnerability, um, we spend our days trying to make a, a false, fragile peace, trying to either gather power, we try to get numb or get power. We try to get power if it's a, a situation that we think we can take mastery over or, or a, a person or a relationship, then we try to get power for ourselves and make peace on our terms. Uh, if it's something that we feel helpless about, then we try to get numb. We just, we just tune out, we settle, we deaden our hearts, we just exist. And, and the reality is, apart from Jesus, we're doing both all the time. That's all we know. <laughs> because we hate enmity, but we also don't want to deal with ourselves, and we don't know how to deal with ourselves. We don't have the ability to. We are vulnerable to the world and vulnerable to ourselves. And no matter how much power I gather, um, I'm actually powerless to attain real peace. Because no matter how powerful I am, I'm still stuck in this world. I'm still stuck in a place where people get sick and die. I'm still stuck in a place where there's car wrecks. I'm still stuck in a place where um, I have to live within my own body. <laughs> I have to live with myself. Um, and for some reason, I don't seem to have the ability to change myself. And no matter what I tell you, uh, no matter how I, I flex on social media, no matter how I virtue signal, um, the reality is my chief aim in life, my highest goal is me. It's my comfort, it's my reputation, it's my success. It's me acting for my benefit. And so you compound that that's in me, compound that across billions of people in the course of human history, and you get a very complex structure of a world that apart from God's mercy, all that happens is wolves eat sheep. Wolves eat sheep, the powerful eat the powerless, the innocent are in constant danger of violence, injustice, abuse, manipulation, coercion. It's a, it's a world where we, no one has to tell us about pain and loss. We're, we're very familiar. So that's where we find ourselves. So Merry Christmas. And when we, when we suffer enough, when we finally wake up enough, we sober up enough, and we, we've experienced enough of this, then we start asking the real questions. 
What, what is right? You know, all, all these people fighting about what is right. What is right? Who knows? Who has the answer? Because really there can only be one. What is right? And who is right? And, and who is going to do something about all that's wrong? In other words, is there any hope for real, lasting peace? So now we get into our passage. In this passage, this word, this prophetic word from Isaiah, God gives his word to this prophet Isaiah to speak to his people. This word comes to God's people uh, who find themselves in a very similar place that we find ourselves. We are sinful and we're also scared. We're vulnerable to the sin around us, in other people, in the world, in the other world powers. So they were at a place where uh, things were shaky at best. Uh, There were world powers gathering forces around them. There was competing alliances. Who are we gonna join? Who is gonna save us? Which other country, which other nation is gonna be our savior and keep us um, treading water with what we have now? And so what they did Uh, was they came to God for help, but they came like an addict uh, who's asking for more money to buy drugs because they didn't really care about God at all. When things were peaceful, when they were in power, um, they ran away, they did their own thing. And now when they're scared, they come to God and they say, please, we're actually interested in what you have to say now. Will you help us? Does that feel familiar to anyone? And he says essentially to them, because this is, this is how amazing he is. This is how full of mercy, full of grace, full of love he is. I am going to answer your prayers for peace and for help and for flourishing, but it is not at all going to look like what you think it will. Again, because if you're the problem, you cannot also be the solution. You who are an active addict Um, you are not going to be able to go and resolve your problems right now because you have much deeper issues than being low on money and not being able to pay your rent. Anything that I give to you is just going to be this bottomless bucket. It's going to keep bleeding out, and you're going to be in the exact same place you've always been. And this is essentially what God is telling his people. And so that's why we start with this message that sounds like this message of judgment, the last two verses of chapter 10. Uh, the, the cedars of Lebanon, the, the forest of Lebanon was like, if you go out west to California, like the, the um, redwood forest, they're just so huge and majestic and, and glorious. And so he's saying, you, th- you think of yourselves as this forest of Lebanon, but what's going to happen is I'm going to come, and, and it's weird as it sounds, because I love you, I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to take all of your glory, all of your pride, all of your self-reliance, all of your independence, and I'm going to cut you down. And that is actually going to be step one of how I save you and how I give you peace. And then as he gets into chapter 11 here, um, he says, "And, and the way that I'm going to bring you peace is not going to look glorious to you. It's not gonna, it's gonna look very humble. It's gonna look very, honestly, very inadequate because of all this, this former forest where I just see giant tree stumps and trees raised to the ground, you're gonna see one little shoot that comes up out of the root of Jesse. And if you don't know, Jesse was King David's father. And so uh, everyone knows who David is because David was Israel's greatest king. That's when they experienced the most prosperity. 
Um, he was the man, uh, the, the Bible tells us David was a man after God's own heart. So he was the best king that they had ever experienced. And so essentially what God is saying is, there is gonna be out of all of the destruction that I bring, all the judgment to you that I bring, there's gonna be a new David who grows up in David's line. Uh, he is gonna be like your great king, David, but he's gonna be even greater. And let me tell you about this king who is coming. And so he sets off to describe the one who is gonna come and bring peace. Um, and he says, he's gonna be so wise and so good. Um, he will love, un unlike you all, unlike us, uh, he will love what is right more than he loves himself. He will love justice and mercy and goodness more than he loves his own comfort. Always. And he will love who is right. Because when we say things like wisdom and goodness and mercy and justice, we're not talking about concepts. We're actually talking about God who is those things. Um, God does not align himself with wisdom, justice, mercy, and goodness. Uh, wisdom, justice, mercy, and goodness flow from God because he expresses those qualities with himself. And that's how, we, that's how we have qualities. That's how we know what all those things are like because that's just who he is and how he is. And this, this one who is coming is going to love God with all of his heart. He's gonna find his delight, it says, in the fear of the Lord. Um, and when we, we hear that phrase, the fear of the Lord, what we're really saying is like, um, I live in the fear of my wife. She's scary, no. I live in the fear of my wife because I love her. She is like this top priority in my life. So, so if, if some of you or anyone out in the world says something that is at, at odds with her, um, I'm, I'm paying attention to her. I'm trying to lean in and pay attention to her because I love her, I'm devoted to her, I'm dedicated to her. So when we hear the fear of the Lord in a similar way, we're saying that this one who is coming is so deeply, like his life, his well-being, his desires, everything is deeply intertwined and inseparable with who is God and what does God want? How is God? What is his character and what is his desire in the world? That is this one who is coming. He is gonna be so concerned with these things and so concerned with this God. And he is gonna rule with perfect righteousness. He's gonna rule with perfect wisdom and perfect application of that wisdom. He is gonna know exactly what to do in every situation and he's gonna have the ability to carry it out. He's gonna be able to take knowledge and wisdom and apply them specifically to every individual situation, but also every individual person. It says that um, he will judge the poor with righteousness. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He is not gonna play favorites. He's not gonna be biased. He's not gonna be limited to what he can see and what he can hear like a man. He is unlimited. He knows all things. And he's gonna apply his wisdom and justice and mercy and goodness and rule to every single individual in his kingdom with equity and with what is best for all of them. Can you imagine, can you imagine a kingdom where the king intimately knows every single subject and works for the good of every single subject? Not only does that reveal his love and his goodness and his mercy for those who are poor or who are weak, but that reveals his wisdom. Who can do that? Who could even do that with a room this size? Who could orchestrate things to happen in such a way that it, it ultimately benefits every single one of us the same because he loves us the same. That is impossible apart from God. 
And it says that he will be so powerful. He will bring justice and judgment with his mouth. Because again, it's another clue as to who this is who is coming. Just like the Lord spoke creation into existence, this coming king, this coming judge will only have to speak judgment. He doesn't need an army to help him carry it out. He will say the words and those things will happen. And because that is how powerful he is, all of the wealth, all of the power of the wicked will not be able to shield them from the justice that is coming to them. And what is the result of this one who is coming to rule, who is coming to judge? What is going to be the result of this ultimate, sovereign, eternal rule? It's peace. But it's not like a peace that we've ever known before. It's real lasting peace that goes all the way up. Where there was enmity, there will be peace. Flourishing is now possible. There will be no more harm from anything, any person, any, any force of nature. There will be no more harm. There will be no more destruction, no worry, no threat. All power is submitted to this all-powerful king. And, and how he will accomplish this, it says part of what's going to happen is that he is going to have the ability to fundamentally change the nature of these beings. The, the wolf that is, is like all he knows is to, to eat sheep is now not going to do that. He's going to lie down with sheep. The lion who all he knows is to eat meat is going to eat straw. There's going to be a fundamental change in the nature of all of creation. This is not an ordinary king. This is not an ordinary man. This one who is coming is, is supernatural. Listen to the verbs of this king's rule. Listen to what peace sounds like. Lying down with or resting together. There'll be rest, dwelling with, eating with, feasting, fellowshipping, and play, joy, freedom, life. That is the peace that this one who is coming is going to enact. And, and it's because the whole earth is going to be full. Part of the way that he's changing the nature of every being is that now we have these blindness. We, now we can't fully see, we can't fully understand because of the sin that's in us, the sin that's in the world. We, it, it says in scripture that the enemy blinds us to who God really is, to make us think that he is the enemy. He's the one to run away from. But when this coming king begins to rule, part of what he's gonna do, part of the way that he's gonna change our nature is he's gonna open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to who God really is, and it says the whole earth is gonna be full of the knowledge of God, who he is, what he's all about, his love, his presence, his everything, as the waters cover the sea. In other words, everywhere, everything down to the bone, to the deepest degree, will know God the way that we were intended to know God when he created us. And peace will go all the way up. Not just peace with nature, peace with myself, peace with you, peace with other people groups, other nations, but peace with God 
And so how is that possible? Okay, well, we have verse 10, this beautiful, beautiful verse. It says, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. What does that mean? Okay, well, we heard that this is going to be the shoot of Jesse. So this is going to be another of Jesse's offspring. He's going to come from the line of David. But now we're hearing that it's not just that. He's not just going to be David's descendant. He's going to be David's predecessor. He's the root of Jesse. Jesse grew out of him. In other words, he's the one that created the whole world. And all of humanity is birthed out of this one who is coming. He is fully God and fully man. And it says that he will stand as a signal for the peoples. What does that mean? That word for signal is like a sign telling people where to go. And, and it says, in this day, in that day, and what we're actually talking about, they didn't know it at the time, but we're actually talking about one day that is actually two days. Um, again, we live in between those two days because this one who would come on the first day when he first came, he stands as a signal because he is, he is fully God, fully man, hung up on a cross. And so when people look at him, hanging on a cross, bleeding out, they see what is, is now going to enable to bring peace within themselves because within ourselves, we have these warring desires. I want to be so close to God because I was made in his image and that's what I was made for. But I want to stay so far away from him because I'm terrified of him because of the way that I've chosen to live. And now we can look at this signal, this God who is hanging on a cross and say, it's okay. You can come to him. You can actually have peace with him now because, because the violence that's necessary to bring peace after you have sin, after you have evil, after you have conflict, is poured out on him, not on us. And so look at him. Look at him there who has become vulnerable for you, who is sinless for you, who is giving himself for you, and come and find life in him. Come and be reconciled to this God who is awesome, who is, is going to enact this, this peaceful reign over all of creation for all of eternity. He is going to be a magnet, it says. All the nations, every man, woman, and child, people from everywhere are going to flock to this God who is hanging on a cross like a signal and say, I want to know about him. I want to come to him. I want to find life in him. And that offer is, is standing for you, for me, for every one of us. Come and find life in this God who, who hangs himself as a symbol, a signal to bring us back to him. And then it says, his resting place shall be glorious. Where is his resting place? His resting place is with his people in this perfect, peaceful kingdom for all eternity. His resting place with us is glorious because it's everything that we were made for. It's perfect unity with him. It's perfect intimacy with him forever. Okay, this is, this is beautiful. This is true. This is powerful. This is a, a hope of the coming peace. And we still have to live in this world, in the in-between, in between the days, the days of his coming and the days of his coming again. How do we do that? Is there any help for us, <laughs> any practical help for us, and how do we do that? How do we live right now? 
Well, certainly, there's peace with God. And as you'll discover, peace with God is actually the most important peace. And it's the peace that we need that begins to bleed out into all the other relationships that, that require peace. So yes, there's this ripple effect that's happening now of our peace with God working itself out into our lives. But here's what I do a lot. Um, I actually live a, a Christianized version of what we said at the beginning that was happening before Jesus came. Um, it's easy for me to live in the in between the days, uh, trying to gather power for myself and trying to numb out and trying to do both at the same time. Um, I, I try to make life as comfortable for me as possible by gathering power and exercising power to have peace on my terms. Uh, when I'm in a disagreement with Lee or when I uh, am in a disagreement with my children or when I'm in a disagreement at work or um, all the places I go or, or even with people I don't know when I'm in line or when I'm, you know, I just always want a, a little bit more for me. Sure, we can have peace, but as long as like we take care of me first. And then in the places where I feel powerless, um, I've kind of learned that nothing's going to happen there. And so I just start to numb out. I start to shut my heart down and feel like, uh, you know what, that's not going to change. So I'm just going to throw on a, a game or uh, something on Netflix or just, just zone out. So Jesus has, has saved us from this. Uh, he's also saved us from trying to demand perfect justice for myself in relationships uh, and refusing to look at me and, and see where justice needs to be applied to me. <laughs> I demand perfect justice from you in the way that you treat me, but I don't want to look at me and see the way that I treat you. Uh, and that's actually the antithesis of the gospel because that's not how I've been treated by the God who has every right to destroy me. So how do we live? Um, this verse, I feel like the Lord just gave me this verse this week as I've been meditating on this and thinking about this. Uh, and it's Jesus' words in Luke 9 to his disciples, Luke 9, 23 and 24. If anyone would come after me, if anybody would be my follower, if anybody would believe in me, if anybody would raise their hand and say, I want to follow this king, I want to be a subject in this coming king's kingdom, then in this in-between time, in-between the days, let him do this, let her do this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Okay, when he says take up your cross, the cross was this instrument of death and torture uh, that carried with it a lot of shame because it meant you were a criminal. And so when Jesus took up his cross, which is the cross, um, he was taking all of our shame upon himself and not making us deal with the consequences. He was taking it on himself. And so that's what he's telling us to do. My, my little flock, if you're going to be my people, you got to follow me and live the way that I lived, and I'm going to empower you. I'm going to help you do that. But it's saying no to your flesh, saying no to your demands for comfort and reputation and security, and saying yes to bearing the sins of the people around you, saying yes to bearing the shame. Uh, you don't have to be understood. You don't have to be right. You can just eat the cost the way that uh, he has done for us. And I, I've got to tell you all, um, as your pastor, I have to confess that I'm an infant in this area. You know, as I sat with this this week, um, 
I thought, man, if that's what it looks like to follow Jesus, I don't know if I've been following him much at all. Because that is so hard. It's so hard to live like that. Um, and so what, what I've been doing this week, I feel like he's led me into, and what I believe he's leading us into, especially as we prepare to come to this table, is um, I know that it's hard, but just come to me. Come to me and be enamored by my love for you. Come to me and dwell on the way that I've loved you and let that begin to change your heart and unlock your heart. And then just try, begin to live out of this strength that I've given you. My spirit rests in you. And so now, even though I feel like an infant in this area, I know that these things are true. I can feel it happening, that he is cutting down my, my Lebanon, my forest of Lebanon. He is cutting down my pride, my independence. And he is this little shoot, this, the Holy Spirit, this Jesus that is dwelling in me is growing, even though it is small. It is growing, he is bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, as I grow in need for and love for him. His Spirit is increasingly leading me to desire God and his desires over my own. He's doing that for all of us. And, and even though it is slow and imperceptible at times, he is changing my nature. I'm not the same person I was two years ago, 10 years ago. And I'm increasingly able to dwell with my enemies increasingly able to deny myself, confess my sin, ask for reconciliation, seek reconciliation, and take up my cross as I follow him and be a signal to the watching world to say, maybe that's true. Maybe there's a God who can love like that. And maybe in some small way that we don't notice, that's hard to see. He is using all of us as we try and fail and try again to follow him in this way, to point to him and, and lead the watching world to have rest and reconciliation in their savior. Um, and no matter how I feel today, because of the promises that he's made and what he's done, uh, my resting place, your resting place will be glorious because it will be with him and it will be with you um, for all eternity. And that's what's coming. Uh, so now we get to celebrate this thing called communion, um, taking the, the Lord's Supper. It's this sacrament, it's this mystery, it's this tangible, physical expression of the spiritual reality of what God is doing and what he's done, uh, that he's given himself for us so that we could have life. So this practice comes from Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. He's, he's eating with his disciples, uh, celebrating the Passover meal in the upper room. He takes bread, breaks it, and says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Um, you need to feed on me. Um, I'm broken for you so that you can draw strength as you feed on me. So eat this in remembrance of me. Um, and then likewise, he takes the cup and he says, this cup of wine does not represent God's cup of wrath, of his judgment. Um, this cup represents my blood, the new covenant, and it's the cup of the wedding feast. You don't have to fear God anymore. In fact, God is marrying himself to you. Uh, and this is a foretaste of the, the coming party to end all celebrations. That is the wedding of the lamb and his people. And so uh, if you are someone who knows that you are a sinner, knows that you are at enmity with the world and with God, and you're in desperate need of a savior, you're in desperate need of a king to come and rule for you and do the things that you can't do, and that that king is Jesus, then this table is for you. Whether you've come a thousand times or this is the first time. And what we do here at Midtown West is we come and we kneel um, and you can talk to the Lord and, and do whatever business you want to do with him.
and we will serve you the elements and you can take them. Um, if you need gluten-free bread, let us know. Um, and if you need prayer, which is very normal, because <laughs> we all do, uh, just raise a hand and say, hey, I'd love for you to pray for me. You can ask us to pray for something specific for you, or you can just say, I don't even know, I just need prayer, and we'd love to do that for you. Father, uh, thank you, Lord, as we continue to worship, we, we praise you for who you are, how you love us. Um, we ask now that you would uh, keep our hearts and minds fully present here with you, um, that you would speak to us uh, love and mercy and grace, um, and that you would lead us in this life of following you. In Jesus' name, amen.